0: In today's rapidly changing world, we all have questions and we all want answers. It's on this program that we get our answers from the Word of God. It's time for another episode of A Relevant Word with longtime pastor and best selling author Carl Gallup. This is a relevant word with Pastor Carl Gallops. Carl, good to have you back in the studio today. Yeah, it's good to be back, Kevin. Looking forward to it. You know, when you read the Bible right from the very beginning, mm-hmm. it's a story we all know. You know, it's how the earth was created, oh, yeah. And yeah, in the Adam beginning. and Eve yeah. and in the beginning. And yeah. we all know the story. And it's a beautiful story of God's creation mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. On, the, on, the, on the first day, on the, the second day. Yeah. And uh-huh. then. And chapter three, oh, smack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guess what? Yeah. God, there's a serpent. There's a serpent there that's yeah. walking. Yeah, and, and, and you know, talking. You got visuals. It's a walking, of,
1: talking snake. I have this visual
0: yeah. of of a rattlesnake with yeah. legs. Yeah, which is pretty yeah. horrifying. Right, right. If but, you think uh, about it, <laughs> shed some light on
1: that. I mean, it's, okay. it's you know
0: the first part of Genesis. There's a lot to take in in yeah. a very in a very short
1: time. Yeah, there is. Um, Listen, I don't want to do a cheap advertisement for some of my books. I've written a ton of books, and all of them have been bestsellers, and the Lord has blessed me, has put me all over media. But I wrote one called Gods of Ground Zero. Just for you, my listening audience here, if, if you want to do way more study than what I'm gonna to get to present these you know, next little 30 minutes, uh, get that book, that'll help you a lot. But everything I'm gonna say now comes straight from the scriptures and then backed up by tons of scholarly affirmation. And you can get all of that and so much more in that book. But anyway, let me just get right to the question. So what happens when we run right into chapter three? Well, let me first tell you the importance of chapter three. It is the garden scene. We re- we're told there in so many words that that this is why the world's in the mess that it's in. This is where it happened. This is where it all began. And so now we come thousands of years into our own lifetime, and we see the world going out of its mind. Everything seems upside down. Right is literally called wrong, and wrong is literally called light. Uh, right and I, I, I was extrapolating from the scripture that says and light is called darkness and darkness is called light so mm-hmm. I mixed my words in but but all of that all of that is happening and it's and people say yeah but it's always been like that yeah but never never on a global scale with all the governments and the power of people speaking the same narrative why because now we have 24/7 communication information technology. And now governments of the world are all connected to it. Power players are all connected to it. And so the 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 world is beginning to speak with one voice, which goes right all the way to the end of the book, to Revelation 13, to the one world order, the new world order, the great reset, the new, you know, under the beast, and take the mark and all of that. So see, Genesis 3 is important because it tells us why, when that first happened, what happened, and where it's all going and why. So I tell people all the time, that if it wasn't for Genesis 3, just that one chapter, we'd be in a mess trying to understand the whole, the whole message of the Bible. But when you realize that after the garden account, everything else that follows in the Bible, everything is about Satan looking for that one that God promises in the garden when he brings his judgment on Adam, Eve, and Satan. He says, look, from the womb of a woman is coming a seed, a male child. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. In other words, there's something coming, all right, for what you did today. Here's what God said. Let me I'm just going to put it in plain English. Because of what you did, I'm going to kill you. But yet, everything still has to has to work out everything has to play out why souls are coming into the world you know the bible says god is not slow in keeping his promise of making everything right but he's patient he wants everyone who will come to come he wants it restored like it was. But we're not puppets on a string. We're not robots. We're created in his image. We get to make up our minds to choose him or not. But he wants to give us time. Time is God's blessing. He wants to give us time to make that choice. And, and so the Bible also says, Old Testament and New Testament, that a day with the Lord's like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That, that goes to Einstein's theory of relativity. The further you get away from the earth and the quicker you go up to the speed of light and beyond, there is no such thing as time. And that's what the Bible tells us, long before Einstein. That no, you come into God's domain, and and He's outside the whole universe. He created the universe itself. There is no such thing as time. So God has given us time as a gift. So it's been thousands of years since the Garden of Eden. You say, well, you know, everything's going. On. No, He's that's God's gift to us. Where God is, it's like three days. I mean, it's just is nothing to Him. So, but but he's giving us the opportunity. So Genesis 3 lets us know why that is. And so from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, it's all about this cosmic battle between God and the angelic realm and Satan and the demonic realm and for the souls of men. And God wants to love us into his presence and back to our divine nature. Satan is in the process of of belittling us, trashing us, using us, crushing us for his own selfish pleasure and purpose of taking what he thinks is rightfully his. Now, let's get to the Garden of Eden because we we come right into this talking, walking snake and, and a woman eating a fruit. A lot of times it's presented as an apple and that comes out of the song of Solomon they find a a metaphorical allusion to a woman eating an apple from an apple tree but that's not necessarily about the Garden of Eden but that's where that imagery comes from because the Genesis 3 says nothing about what kind of fruit it is and and here's the bottom line folks it's not a walking, talking snake. Oh, I know people are listening right now. I know you're, some of you are listening right now, and you're saying, well, oh, that's heresy. The Bible says it is. Well, it's a metaphor, and I can prove that to you from the Word of God, okay? Let me just jump ahead and prove this. Then I want to come back to the Garden of Eden. We go all the way to the last book, Revelation. You get into chapter 12, and, and, and it talks about, chapter 12 of Revelation, talks about that dragon, comma, that ancient serpent, comma, who is Satan. Okay, so we know. Do you, do you know of any dragons? It goes on to say, and the dragon spewed water and tried to kill the woman that was giving birth to the child. Do we know anything about water spewing dragons and you know, and ancient serpents that try to eat a baby coming out? No, no, it's all metaphorical. And, and but the Book of Revelation tells us, and all of that, those metaphors, that is Satan. It says in Revelation 12, this is Satan. Okay, and so later on, when it says the dragon gives his power to the beast in chapter thirteen, this one world order. That That's that's not a real dragon, and and it's not a real beast. It's a system. It's a world system and the Antichrist, and Satan is giving his power to it. It's as simple as that. And people still say, yeah, but I was taught all my life. That was a walking, talking snake. Well, you were taught incorrectly because whoever taught it did not make the connection to the end of the book where it tells us the answer. So the bottom line is. When we go back to chapter 3, people say, yeah, but it says you'll crawl on your belly, and when judgment was given, you crawl on your belly and eat dirt. So why would he do that? Because it's still a metaphor. You find that same metaphorical phrase of crawling on your belly and eating dirt all through the Old Testament when God brings his judgments upon kings and nations. He tells them, as a nation, you will crawl on your belly and eat dirt. He tells kings the same thing. And what he's telling them is you're going to be debased and you're going to be identified with the power that's behind you. And that power is Satan. It, it, it gives you imagery of the garden of Eden but it's clearly, when he's talking to kings and nations, nations can't crawl on their bellies and eat dirt. Kings are not going to do that. So it's a metaphor. The same thing goes all the way back to the garden. That word there in Hebrew for the serpent in Hebrew is nakash. And it, we use it the same way in English when we say snake. I can say, I can be walking in the woods uh, with, with the listener here, with you, and we can be walking in the woods, and I can see a rattlesnake, and I can say snake. Okay, so I just use the word. Or I could be at a party. And through the door walks this guy that is just evil. And I say to you in your ear, hey, there's that snake in the grass I was telling you about. I use the same word. Same thing is done in the Bible. Nachash, snake and or a person who is stealthy, ugly, nasty, sneaky. Well, that's what the Garden of Eden's all about. And so there was a real garden. There was a real tempter. Satan, Revelation tells us. Ezekiel 28 tells us that too. We can talk about that after the break here in a little bit. but. But anyway, there's so so Satan is, is shown as a real Satan. He is there, the tempter, a real Adam, a real Eve. Look, a real sin took place. We can even talk about that a little bit in, in a little bit. Um, all of that happened. A real fall happened. The world shows it all. At the time I'm, I'm talking right now, there's eight billion plus people on the planet, all of us, unless we're under the blood of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in us. We're all fallen and we know it. So all of that is happening and people are walking around saying, what's wrong with this world? What's wrong with this world? But if we know the word of God, we know where it started. We know how deep and dastardly this is. We know it is spiritual warfare. It is real. It's not a walking, talking snake. And and, and all of this didn't happen because a woman ate an apple. The Bible did not even say apple or even a piece of fruit. All of that are met. They are metaphors. Jesus himself said, beware of false prophets. They are like good trees, but they bear bad fruit. Do not eat of their fruit. See, there's an example. I mean, use your heads, folks, get into the word. Let Jesus interpret what fruit and trees mean and prophets. By the way, Satan gave the first false prophecy. You surely shall not die. In fact, you can be like us if you'll just do this thing with me. I mean, there it is. And Jesus was talking about that. And then, well, is it really a walking, talking snake? Nope. Go to Revelation 12 and it tells you this dragon, this ancient serpent. Well, how old is ancient? All the way back to the Garden of Eden. It is Satan, comma, or the devil period, and that's what it says. So there we are for for just an understanding of that. Uh, when we come back, I'll go even deeper into the meaning of it and some of the nuances of the interpretation of all of this, and then you'll see how it applies directly to your life, and I can't wait to get there.
0: Pastor Carl Gallops, with a relevant word,
1: will return right after the break.
0: more on Pastor Carl or to listen to his podcast anytime. Visit CarlGallops.com. For more on Pastor Carl or to listen to his podcast any time, visit Carlgallops.com. This is a relevant word with Pastor Carl Gallups, and we were just talking about snakes with legs. In uh, <laughs> a chapter one. three of Genesis, a what one a one. beautiful story, and yeah. and how how it truly is a metaphor for evil in the world.
1: Yeah, it, it it's it's presented in metaphorical fashion, and before people call me a heretic, remember. The Word of God says that. In Revelation 12, let me go back and visit that because I left out a very important point. So we come to Revelation 12 where it talks about that dragon, comma, that ancient serpent, comma, who is the devil or Satan. So there's your answer. All right. So how how ancient is the serpent? All the way back to the garden. How ancient is the dragon? Well, we don't see a dragon anywhere in the scriptures that where where in Revelation it talks about he spews water and he's trying to disperse the people of God. He's looking for that, that woman that's going to give birth to the child. He wants to eat and destroy the child. What what baby-eating dragon do we see anywhere in history or in the Bible? Nowhere. It's metaphorical. Now watch in case you're still having trouble with it. Think of this. In that same book, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Mm Who went to the throne. Did really? Did he become a walking-talking lamb and, and and let them they crucified the lamb? It wasn't really Jesus. No, it was Jesus. But see, the Lamb speaks of his character. You know what else he's called in the book of Revelation? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. So did they did he turn into a lion? Did he enter a lion? And was it a walking-talking lion that went to the crowd? No, it's describing his character. So what do we do when we describe Satan in the garden as that Nachash, that ancient serpent or that dragon? What are we describing? His wicked, vile, destructive, nasty, vicious character. He's a dragon. He's a snake in the grass. He's a serpent that will strangle you like a boa constructor. He's a serpent that will strike you and and, and put poison in you and and, and and cause you to go into all kind of pain and agony and die. That's what that means. It is a metaphor. Now, we jump from that understanding. And and remember, always remember that. If somebody challenges you on that, folks, listen, remember, say, well, listen, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Is that metaphorical or did he really enter into a lion and into a lamb? No. No. So that, that, that will help keep you online. Because, see, I know, see, so much of God's word has been turned into children's bedtime stories. It's one of Satan's tricks. Noah's Ark, you know, as you got this big boat and this, this big giraffe, this, his neck goes up into the rainbows. And, and the, the man with the long white beard that touches the ocean waves. And, you know, it's like a cartoon. And that's not what God pushed the reset button. He killed everything. This was a horrifying experience the Garden of Eden it wasn't a walking talking snake and a woman just innocently eating a, an apple because she was kind of allured by the no in fact when God calls them to his presence he he tells Eve he says basically and I'm paraphrasing but he basically says, look you're, you're under my judgment she says I couldn't help it he beguiled me he bewitched me is what the word says. The, the, the serpent bewitched me. Now, now she's in that snake in the grass. He lied to me. He tricked me. But that word bewitched and beguiled means there was something deeply supernatural, like witchcraft that he was working. He just, he just mesmerized her because he could. He had that kind of power. And, and, and so it's all right there, but you have to know what you're reading. All right. Now, as another example of this, we go to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28 is much like Isaiah 14, and we'll get to that in a moment. They are what are known as compound prophecies. And all of the scholars, the Bible scholars, they understand this principle of compound prophecies. So here's a perfect example. Ezekiel 28 starts off, Ezekiel is giving a prophecy, and he starts off with, a. it's called a lament of the king of Tyre, to the king of Tyre. In other words, he's in, in, in a warning, and a judgment against the king of Tyre. In those days, Tyre was a very... Powerful and wicked place, and the king of it thought that he was all that and a bag of potato chips, and you know, and, and and so the people feared him, feared his army, and he just thought he was like God himself to the people. Okay, so it starts off that way, and and God is speaking directly to the king of Tyre in Ezekiel twenty-eight, and He's telling him how wicked he is, how arrogant he is, how prideful he is, how stupid he is, that he's just a mortal man and he's going to die, and and etc., and that and that God is saying, but I am the Lord, I live forever. Etc. But then the language changes in the middle of that, that lament against the king of Tyre. He, he says, and I, I placed you in the garden of Eden. You were my appointed anointed cherub and you, you profaned it. You trashed it. You, you brought nastiness to it. And he says, and I made you, you, you know, your, your whole body was a musical instrument. It says that. It's in the Hebrew. Some English translations pick up on it and say that. And some kind of skirt around it. But it really does say that. And when people freak out about oh, a body, a musical instrument, listen, ours is. I've got a. We've got vocal course. Do you have vocal course, folks? Do you have ears? Can you carry a tune? You can hear it. We begin to sing, and of course, we've got technology to help us because we're in a fallen world. We've got microphones and amplifiers and guitars. But, but I can still. You, you've heard acapella singing. You've heard people use their voices to sound like instruments. And you heard them like beat their chest and then and then sing and and you know boom 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 boom. I'm not. not, I just just said. So Kevin, I see you do that all the time. Some instruments are better than others. Some are better than others. But my point is, we were created like that too, but we're fallen. But 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 Nachash was not fallen. This is what God's saying. You were a cherub, a cherubim. Now watch this. Ezekiel twenty-eight calls him one of the cherubim. This certainly is not the king of Tyre. He was never placed in the Garden of Eden. He was never one of the cherubim. His whole body was not a perfect instrument. And then, then God goes on to say, I created you in perfection. You were full. You're the most beautiful thing I ever created. You're the most intelligent thing I ever created. And you profane my garden. And none of that applies to Tyre. So who's he talking about? He's talking about Satan, Nakash, who was in the Garden of Eden as a cherubim. Now we know what he was. We find out in Ezekiel that the cherubim are called the living creatures. By the time we get to Revelation, we see John in the throne room and he says, and I saw four living creatures around the throne. One had the face of an ox, one had the face of a man, one had the face of an eagle, one had the face of a lion. And they were singing and they were praising and they were, they were worship leaders around the throne in heaven and they were huge, glorious, beautiful creatures, part of God's creation. They could think, they could sing, they could lead, they could communicate. And, and John saw this. And now in Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw that too. He was taken into glory for a little bit. He saw the throne of God. He understood. He then gives this word that God gives to Satan. It's the king of Tyre. It starts off there. But why would it start with the king of Tyre and then morph into Satan because God's Killing two birds with one stone. First of all, he's chewing out the king of Tyre. Second of all, he's giving God's people, readers of the word of God, forever and ever a look at what really happened in the garden, who was really there, and how nasty it was and he was comparing him to that human king that everybody despised because he was so arrogant and so powerful and so full of himself. But then he's also telling us, he's giving us a peek at why that king of Tyre was so wicked, because behind him in the spiritual realm was a demonic power. It was the power of Satan that was driving that throne and driving that man, that king of Tyre. So we learn all of that in Ezekiel 28. So by the time we unwrap Ezekiel 28... Isaiah 14, the great I wills, it starts off as a judgment against the king of Babylon. And then it comes into saying, but he says to himself, I will exalt myself to the throne of God. I will be worshipped before the gods, little g. You know, first commandment, thou shalt have no gods, little g, before you. I will be worshipped. I will. That's Satan. And he goes on to call him, in some translations, Lucifer. You know, old Lucifer, how you have fallen. Well that's not the king of Babylon. He's talking about Satan again. So you've got all these clues, Revelation twelve, Ezekiel twenty eight, Isaiah fourteen, and we understand what happened in the garden. It was deep, it was dark, it was nasty. It it devastated everything. We're still living it. Matter of fact, within maybe five, six hundred years later, and, and theologians argue about exactly how long, we don't know. But then the flood came because of everything that happened in the garden, it just snowballed and it kept getting worse and worse until finally, right before the flood, God said, look, all flesh is corrupt now. And he said, you know, human flesh, animal flesh, uh, it, whatever man devises, he can do. The wickedness it's filling the earth, uh, terror. And there's even that mystery verse in uh, uh, Genesis 6:4 that says, "And the sons of God came unto the daughters of men and had had children by them, and they became giants, the men of renown and old." I mean, a lot of nasty, demonic outpouring. A lot of nasty stuff was happening. And it all began in the garden. Some of it might have been sexual perversion. The Word of God says that all the way through to the New Testament in in places. Again, gods of ground zero will show you that. We know in Genesis 6 that seems to speak to that. We know that something was happening, giants, aberrations of humanity. And then when God brought the the animals to the ark, um, God brought them. Bible didn't say, now, no, you just go out and pick some. No, he said, on a certain day, I will bring them to you. Why? Because he knew which animals were not corrupted. Who did he put on the ark? The only humans that he knew were not corrupted. But he said, because all flesh has become corrupt. And that means, with the exception of Noah and his family and the aren't animals I'm going to bring. He said, I'm destroying it, everything. I'm destroying everything except these on the ark. That all started with Satan in the garden. That's my point of all of this. So I, I want you just to get a grasp as you're listening to this, folks. You know, this is real battle. This is real war. This is what's really happening in the world. This is not a children's cartoon. It's not a children's bedtime story. And, and, but it was written metaphorically so that, and a lot of scholars say this, so I'm kind of borrowing their words, so that even a child, could at least understand something about that something bad happened without knowing all the details. Even a baby Christian could be an adult, 70 years old, and they would get freaked out if they read all the nitty gritty details of what really happened in the garden, what really happened in Noah's day. The Bible didn't tell us. It just says it was so evil, so vile that God destroyed it all. And Satan was so evil and the garden was so evil that God himself put on flesh, went to the cross, took our sin upon us, rose from the grave and said, now, now you see who I am. Now if you would come back to me, daddy, your heavenly daddy will bring you home. That's the message of the Bible. It starts in Genesis 3, it ends in Revelation 22. And along the way we're told who that snake was.
0: You mentioned that uh, the world was in such a state that God decided that uh, this is done. I can't I can't take this. We're going to destroy the world. Yeah. I think of the if the Bible the great reset. <laughs> if the Bible were written in, you know, in detail. Yeah. It would be too tough to read. It
1: would be too tough to read, and it would be about five times bigger than it is. Yeah, there's so many details. This is life that covered hundreds and hundreds of years. So what the Bible does in many cases is it um, it, it it gives us a synthesis, you know, a synopsis, uh, um, and and it just brings it down to the fine points, the most important points. And then we humans we argue about it for thousands of years. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean? But all the answers are there, and that's the point that I'm trying to make here for you folks that are listening is that if, if you know the word of God, and if you don't, that's why you listen to a relevant word, right? It, 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 every, every, every time we, we do this, because I take you on these kinds of journeys, but you can see now when you connect the scriptures, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Revelation 12, the answers are there. And there are in many other places too. I've just run out of time. <laughs> It's a Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops. We've learned a lot today, and I thank you, Carl, for being in the studio. With oh, it's us. my honor. And for, every, for all the listeners out there, let me just say, may the Lord bless you and keep you always. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of A Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops. You can find Pastor Carl at carlgallops.com.